Okay, I wanna make a quick announcement before we get started here today. I am going to be speaking live. I am a featured speaker at this year's Flip Hacking Live. If you don't know about Flip Hacking Live, it is the absolute mecca of real estate events each year. It is a premier event. You will learn more at this event than you have learned at any other event all of them combined, I would predict, honestly. It is so amazing and packed with real learning, real knowledge, uh, experts in the industry giving away all their secrets to help you create a better business for yourself, to grow your business, or even to launch your business. I'm telling you, there's no better use of your time at any event than Flip Hacking Live. And this year, it's taking place on October 14th through the 16th, and it is in Orlando, Florida, and it's a live, in-person event. All of the COVID protocols are going to be observed, so if you're nervous about that, don't worry. They're not gonna pack you in like sardines. There's plenty of spacing. Uh, Face masks, obviously, are encouraged, and it is as safe as humanly possible, but I'm telling you, this is the event you need to go to. I am speaking at this event, and my talk alone, I think, is worth the price of admission. It's very, very inexpensive. Guys, you really owe it to yourself to go check this out. If you want to learn more, go to bestrealestateevent.com. That's bestrealestateevent.com. Go check it out. Go grab your tickets. I'll be there. I would love to talk to you in person and sit down and spend a little time, but I can't do that if you're not there. So go check it out. Get your tickets now. Can't wait to see you. What are some mistakes you've made when investing in real estate and how did you overcome them? Oh my gosh, so many mistakes. Um, Probably the biggest financial mistake that I've made as a real estate investor in running my business was I forced a deal to close when all of the signs and the red flags were telling me maybe I should walk away. And at the time, I had just scaled my business up to a million dollars. I was rocking and rolling. You know, we were doing tons of deals, things were going right. And I think I got a little overconfident. You're listening to the Just Start Real Estate Podcast. If you're serious about your real estate investing business and need real answers, you are in the right place. And now, your host, Mike Simmons. All right. Thank you for joining me here on Just Our Real Estate. I'm happy to be back with you. I'm excited to be with you again to bring you another Q&A. Some great questions here and some really interesting thoughts and questions that people have, challenges that people are dealing with just like you. And I answer them every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific on Facebook. You can go to Just Start Real Estate on Facebook and uh, you can participate live and I can answer your questions. Whatever you have, I'm there for you. It's free of charge, no obligations, just you and me on there talking and chatting all things real estate and challenges that you're having. So this week was a uh, Pretty cool. People are asking questions like, how long should my house be on the market when it's for sale? Um, some of the mistakes that I've made as a real estate investor over the years, and I was pretty uh, pretty vulnerable. I've made some bad ones, and, and some of them were not... Uh, we're not, we're not good mistakes, meaning uh, they, they were based off of me being sloppy and arrogant, and, and it happens to some of us. So um, I lost some money in that way. Um, uh, people were asking me how I, how I was selling my flips, like what, what 
modes or what methods am I using to get that done? We talked a lot about the burst strategy and various things regarding savings versus leveraging other people's money and and all that kind of stuff, like some strategy behind the burr method and what are some of the best practices there. Um, and then we talked a little bit of bookkeeping and how do you how do you find that person and what's a good price for a bookkeeper. And so really, really fun questions this week. And I can't wait for you guys to dive in. Uh, so I will do that without any say any further ado or wasting any more of your time. We're going to dive right into these questions and let you benefit from them. So here we go. Okay, guys, we are back uh, with you again with another Q&A. If you remember a few weeks back, we couldn't do this. I had lost power and I just wasn't able to log on and do it. And so this is make the makeup for that. This is the, the questions that I had queued up for that night that people had sent and uh, people were asking. I wasn't able to answer them. And so I decided to do this makeup session to get those questions in because I think they're important and they're great questions. And I think a lot of you guys will benefit from hearing my views on this and my thoughts on some of these things that are challenging people. But again, guys, we are here every week on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern time, 4 p.m. Pacific. I'm here to answer your questions. You should always try to log on. Uh, it's a great way to get free uh, advice from me if you want that. So uh, I typically charge uh, if I do any kind of coaching or mentoring. Um, there's a charge for that, but I'm here every Wednesday. It's totally free of charge to you. You can ask me anything you want, and I will help you as much as humanly possible every single week at this time. Also, if you are struggling to grow your business or you haven't started yet you haven't gotten uh, your feet uh, you haven't got off the ground you haven't gotten your feet under you haven't whatever the you know the metaphor you want to use you haven't gotten started and you want to and you hear the clock ticking right we're getting we're in the fourth quarter of the year right so fourth quarter of the game right metaphorically the game and if you're concerned that you haven't gotten the traction that you want to get in your business or haven't even started I've got an answer for you. I have developed a program over the last 13 years of my own experience, but then even more intensely over the last six years of my experience growing from really doing a couple of deals a month to doing 10, 12, sometimes 15 or more deals a month. And also all of the experience over the last six months that I've had directly coaching hundreds and hundreds of real estate investors. So much so that I wrote a book that is available to you also called Level Jumping. But I developed a program based off of all this experience, everything I've seen, all the success that I've seen of people growing their business. I've created a four-week course. It's very short, but it's very intense and it's very packed with great information to help you get your business launched in the direction that you want to go or take it to the next level, right? If you're struggling to understand what you need to do to get better and to make more money, I can help you with that. And I'm here to help you with that. All you have to do is go to findandfundblueprint.com. That's findandfundblueprint.com. And I am here for you. I want to help you. The next session is starting very, very soon. So grab your spot now. Okay, let's dive into some of these questions because like I said, uh, I was uh, bummed that I couldn't answer them a few weeks ago, uh, but we're back and we're going to get these things answered. So let's start off with the first question, uh, which is, how long is too long for a house to be on the market to make a sale? There is no, there is no time, right? There's no time that's too long. Um, but sometimes you have to wait longer if you price it really, really high, okay? So just to use some hypothetical numbers, let's just say, you know, you ran your numbers when you bought the house. I'm assuming this is a flip. And you ran your numbers and you thought the house would be worth 
$200,000 once you were done with it, right? The ARV was $200,000. And then you go to put it on the market. If you put it on the market for $250,000, it's going to sit longer than if you put it on the market for $200,000 or $175,000, which is some people's strategy. They list their house for less, less than they think they'll get because it starts a bidding war. Okay. So you put it out for $175,000. People see it and they're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this house is 175. And then they go see it and it's like, wow, it's great. It's totally renovated. Like, boom, they put it on an offer. And then you have this highest and best situation sometimes on the MLS and it gets a bidding war starts, right? So that's one strategy. If you really want to sell it fast, maybe underprice it a little bit, but at least price it right where it should be if you want it to sell fast. But if you just want to try to squeeze every last dollar out and you don't care if it takes a few extra weeks or even maybe a few extra months, then you can price it really, really high. So if you price your house way too high or on the high side, it's going to take longer than if you price it on the low side or exactly what it should be. Um, but in this market, if you just want me to like give you an, an answer of time, which I don't think it's totally fair, but if you have your house on the market for a month and you don't have an offer, you probably are priced too high, in my opinion, in this market, okay? In another market, a month is nothing. But in this market, I think it's still pretty hot in most places. I don't think it's really declined or, or leveled off too much in most markets. So in this market, I would say if, you, if you've had it on the market for more than a month, you're, you're probably priced too high. You, you need to adjust that price a little bit. So, Or figure out why nobody, nobody's making offers. Maybe there's something going on with the house that you can address. Maybe there's something that people are turned off by when they're going to see it that you can, you can do something about. And if that's the case, then do something about it and, and make, you know, make all the money you can. Uh, but I think a month is long enough to test and see if you've got the right price point. And if you go that long and there's no offers, it's probably the wrong, wrong price point. So uh, I wouldn't wait more than a month if that's the case, honestly. Okay, next question. What are some mistakes you've made when investing in real estate and how did you overcome them? Oh my gosh, so many mistakes. Um, probably the biggest financial mistake that I've made as a real estate investor in running my business was I forced a deal to close when all of the signs and the red flags were telling me maybe I should walk away. And at the time, I had just scaled my business up to a million dollars. I was rocking and rolling. You know, we were doing tons of deals, things were going right. And I think I got a little overconfident, to be honest. I got a little bit overconfident and I made an offer on a house and it got accepted and I was going to wholesale it. And the buyer backed out at the last minute. He said that his hard money lender wasn't confident uh, that the house was going to be worth what he thought it was going to be worth and what I thought it was going to be worth. And I stepped in with uh, money that we had backing us and I bought it. And in our market, um, so that was one mistake, right? Not, not, reading the signs, not looking at the red flags and just arrogantly thinking, I'll just, I'll jump in and I'll, I'll throw money at this thing and I'll get it done. The other issue was I did that, which was wrong, but I also did it with a house that in my market was a higher end house. It was an expensive house. It was well above, you know, the average home price. So not only was I ignoring the signs and, and ignoring all of the signals that were telling me maybe this isn't a great deal and I should be careful. I also did it on a house that it's in a, a higher price point, meaning that means typically when you're in a higher price point, you have less buyers at the end of the day. So I really painted myself into a corner. And as it turns out, 
I was wrong about the numbers. I really should have walked away from this deal and not not consummated it, not closed. Um, and my company lost a significant amount of money on that deal. It was really, 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 really bad. So that's probably the biggest financial mistake I've made. I would say the other big mistake that I made in my business was not hiring soon enough. I went about five years, five or six years without hiring anybody in my business. And it, and it held me back. It slowed me down. I could have gotten so much farther, so much faster, but I had limiting beliefs. I didn't believe I could hire. I didn't believe it was the right time. I didn't want the responsibility. I didn't want the headaches. And all of these were just excuses. And once I started hiring and then more specifically started hiring great people, things changed for the better and significantly and drastically and fast. Honestly, once I started going down that road of building out a team and bringing people in who are better than me at certain things, it really, really went fast. So um, not hiring fast enough and then being a little overconfident, borderline arrogant at, at, to a point where I sort of just thought I knew what I knew. And, I, I, and when other outside influences were telling me maybe I should take a look at it. I just ignored them, right? I should have probably paid more attention. If a hard money lender was backing out of the deal, I should have really taken a closer look at the numbers and, and decided whether or not it made sense. But they looked great, right? I still, I still don't really understand why the house didn't sell for what I thought it would. I, it's still a little bit of a mystery. I think it's a little bit of an anomaly, um, but there are some things that were there that I, I could have seen that might have given me a little bit of pause. But I sort of ignored them, blew past them, and just said, "I'll, I'll just." I'll force this thing over the finish line, force of will, I'll get it done. And I hadn't had a real setback and no real failures in any of the flips I'd done to that point. And that was, this was, we're talking, um, this was probably six or seven years in, like seven years in, I think. And I had not had any losses on any deals I've ever done, right? So this was the first time I'd ever experienced that. And I just, I, I don't think I thought it could happen, to be honest. So that was a big mistake for me. Um, okay. Next question. Well, how are you marketing your real estate flips? Okay. This is an easy one. MLS. Like right now, you don't have to overthink it. If you want to throw it on Facebook marketplace or you know other places, that's fine. You totally do that. But in this market, you just don't have to overthink it. You can put it on the MLS and it will sell if it's, if it's sellable, right? If it's, if it's in good shape, if you got the right price, it'll sell. So right now, the MLS is so easy and, and there might come a time in, in, an, in another market cycle where you have to be a little bit more creative and aggressive with selling your houses. Um, but it, you know, the question is, how are you marketing your real estate flips? Like MLS all day long. I hire a realtor. I'm not a realtor. So I hire a realtor and we go out and get it done. And it's, and it's going well. I mean, houses are selling like this. It's, taking, it's nothing. It's so easy in this market to sell. This is the easiest market you'll ever find to sell in. Buying is a different story, but selling is so easy. So don't overthink it. Put it on the MLS and, and hire a good realtor, right? I think realtors still make a difference. Having a good realtor is still important. And you shouldn't go with your, you know, your brother's friend who's a part-time realtor and has a day job. Like I I never, I, I no offense. I, I appreciate people are trying to hustle and struggle and grind and, and get things done. But me personally, if I if my company income is is dependent on it and my family are, is dependent on me to do the best thing for them, I'm going to use a realtor who does it full-time, who, who's really got a system down and they're really, really good. That's just what I, that's me, but, um, but use the MLS. <clears throat> okay. Next question. Hang on one second. Let me check these off or I'm going to get confused. Okay, here we go. Next question. This is a long one. Um, 
as a first investment, would you consider a burr? In a book I read on the burr method, the author suggests that it's better to wait and save up for a burr as opposed to the speedier route and just doing a conventional loan on a single family house. Would you advise on saving up $100,000 on a burr with a chance to repeat and get reps of REI much more frequently or use 50K on a single family home because it's less complicated and can be a good intro into REI? Okay. I've read this question a couple times now, and I still don't know if I totally understand it, but here's what I think I th- think is being asked. Should I save up $100,000 and just buy a house outright with my own money, use the birth strategy, sell it and move on? Or should I take 50000 and use a conventional loan to buy a property. And then I guess the reason why they think they're going to have to, they're, it's going to be less frequent is they're going to have to wait for some seasoning period or some cash out refi period. That, that's what I'm assuming they're saying. It's hard to answer this without knowing how close you are to the 100,000. But in general, I would say, don't wait. Don't try to save all the money. Uh, I would absolutely recommend you take whatever money you have, use it as a down payment, get a loan from hard money, um, you know, per, uh, private money, whatever the case may be, get the money where you can put down your down payment and do your first one. Now get it done, move on to the next one. I'm, I'm a big fan of, of leveraging other people's money, whether it's private money, hard money, whatever, and then cash out refi with a traditional lender if possible, right? A bank, a credit union or something like that. Um, so that you get that really, really low rate and you can maximize your cash flow. I would not wait until you have all of the money saved up in cash. I don't think there's a, I don't see the, the huge benefit of that. I mean, maybe it's faster because you don't have to wait for the cash out refi to go through. I get that, but you're waiting to save this money, right? So the money, the time you're waiting to save all this money is this probably a wash between the time it's going to take you to cash out refi. Maybe it maybe it'll be longer to wait. I, you know, if you don't have much saved right now, saving a hundred thousand might take months, years. Who knows? So if you have money now, I would say go for it. Go put that money down as a down payment. Borrow the rest of it. Do your burr cash out refi. Move on to the next one. The big thing is when you use other people's money to cash out refi or to to buy the house and then cash out refi. You have to make sure you're buying right so that if the cash out refi is up to, let's just say, 80% of the home's value, then you need to make sure that you bought it low enough that when they give you the 80%, you're getting all your money out plus the money you borrowed. Okay. So you can't buy houses top of the market, renovate them, and owe exactly what it's worth because you're, when you cash out, you're not going to get all your money back and or your lender who, who helped you buy it in the first place is not going to get all their money out. And that's a bad situation. So you have to buy right if you're going to use traditional lending or, or hard money or private money to buy it. Um, but I think that's the way to go because it'll help keep you honest too, right? Just make sure that whatever you're buying and renovating, that you're buying and renovating and you're still only into it for 80% or less of what it's worth. Um, that's what I would highly suggest to you. So, uh, okay. So that's the answer to that one. Um, I think I answered it. I think I answered what they were asking. I'm pretty sure. All right. Next question. Um, and this is going actually pretty quick. So this could be a short episode. Um, I am a new real estate investor trying to get my first deal done. 
my main goal is to build a cash flowing portfolio and add more every year. Okay, that's the goal. Build a cash flowing portfolio and add more every year. I have a full time job which pays 150K, an 800 plus credit score, and $140,000 cash saved. And my only debt is my mortgage at two and a half or 2.5 or whatever, $2,500 a month. $2,500. I'm trying to figure out if I should start with a small single family home and build from there or take advantage of having the cash to put down 20% on a fourplex or a short-term rental. Um, I I think they're all like totally legitimate. I I don't think um, if I should start with a small... Yeah, I think they're all legitimate. Fourplexes is totally like, it's just part of your rental portfolio. So you might have, a lot of people have single family homes. They have duplex, triplex, fourplex, um, short-term rentals. And assuming you don't have any preference in terms of what kind of rental you're buying, you could do any or all of these, honestly, with $140,000, depending on what city or straight state you live in. If you're in Southern California, $140,000 is not as much as it is if you live in the Midwest or the South. Um, but if you live in an area where, you know, maybe $140,000 will get you, you know, two or three houses and that 140 is used as down payment and renovation budget, you might be able to get two, three, four houses at one time uh, if you have that kind of time in your schedule and you can really get this thing going fast and then you can cash out refi and, and do it all over again using the burst strategy. So we just talked about that, right? Um, short-term rent rentals are a little bit of a different animal. Uh, they're a little more active. You can hire a company to help you uh, manage those and they can do a lot of the work. But short-term rentals, I think, are a little more hands-on for a lot of people, especially when you're starting out. Whereas like a single family home, like a long-term rental, a, a traditional rental property, you can hire a property management company day one and they'll handle literally everything and just send you checks at the end of the month. Um, and so if you're going to keep your full-time job, I might suggest going the single family route. The fourplex is fine too. You could hire a, a, a company, a, a, re, a, a property management company to help you with your fourplex. Um, they'll handle the fourplex. They should handle single family homes. So you can kind of mix and match and do whatever you want there. Um, if there's a lot of fourplexes that you can get very inexpensively in your area, then fourplex, go for it. That's the way to go. Um, if they're harder to get and you're just trying to force that fourplex into your portfolio because you like the idea of it, maybe don't do that. Just go for single family homes all day long and build your portfolio. That's ultimately what you want as a portfolio. And I'm assuming you want it to be passive. And so if you're going to go short-term rental, just understand it's a different game. It's different than a long-term rental for sure. And there's different um, challenges. So if you have the time to figure that market out and to, to manage those yourself, and they're pretty, like I said, they're pretty active. People are coming and going every couple of days um, and you need cleaning services. And, you know, there's a lot of different stuff that goes on there. Um, then go for it. But just, you know, short-term rental rentals is a different business than single family long-term rentals. It's just a different business. And I don't know that I would mix and match. If it was me, I'm going to have a company that runs my short-term rental business and a different LLC that runs my long-term rental business. So, uh, it sounds like what your what what is in your mind is building up that long term rental business, a portfolio that that you have and grows every single year. If that's the case, I would take that money you have and I would put it as a down payment. I would do the burst strategy, and you could probably, like I said, do two to four, depending on where you live, do two to four at a time, really, and you could grow pretty fast that way. 
realistically. So that would be my suggestion to you. I, I'm never a big fan of waiting um, or buying everything with cash when there's plenty of money out there that was happy to be lent to you. And you only need it for a few months until you can cash out. So I would go that route. Personally, I'd go the fourplex or the single family home. Um, But if you want to get into the short-term rental game, just do your due diligence, get educated and realize it's a little bit of a different business model than long-term rental. It just, it's run differently and there's different challenges. All right. Uh, last question that we have here. So this will be short uh, because I am not doing this live. That's something I don't know if I mentioned at the beginning. I'm doing this as a recorded thing after the fact. So I don't have questions in the chat this time. Um, so I'm just answering the questions that I already had. And this is the last one. So we'll wrap it up after this. Uh, also, by the way, the person who just, I just answered the question, uh, you're a new real estate investor trying to get your first deal done. Um, not to beat a dead horse here, but if you go to findandfundblueprint.com, I would love to personally help you make this happen and give you much more in-depth advice and, and much more in-depth help than I gave you just now. But I'm answering these questions in this format. That's kind of, you know, that's that's the that's how it goes. But if you join my program, I can get you a lot more hands-on um, advice and, and mentorship there. So go findandfundblueprint.com. Go check it out. All right, last question. Both my real estate investing eight wait a minute. Both my real estate investing and agent business are growing and bookkeeping, keeping track of the back end of each business and staying organized is beginning to take time away from growth. And I know this is not the best use of my time. I'm looking for bookkeeping services and already have a CPA that does a great job for me. His team can offer services at $500 per month to manage bookkeeping for essentially four businesses. Does this price make sense? Are there benefits to keeping bookkeeping in-house with my CPA? Should I shop around? Um, $500 a month for bookkeeping for four businesses is, I think, a really, really good price. It's a great price. Um, so I don't know that I would shop around for price so much. I think it's going to end up probably being more expensive most other places that you go. The only thing I would say is, I've had the advice over the years from people that I respect that having your CPA do your books isn't necessarily the best scenario, only because the bookkeeping service a lot of times is just a bolt-on, sort of an afterthought to their CPA business. It's not their main focus because the CPA work is really what pays the bills and, and makes people money. Um, and that bookkeeping sometimes is thought is an afterthought and there isn't as much um, uh, thought or time put into the development of that side of the business. And so I've always kept my bookkeeping separate from my CPA. And I kind of like that so that there's, there are, there's some checks and balances there for sure. I know my bookkeepers are focused on bookkeeping 24 seven. That's all they think about. That's all they care about. And I like that. Um, so I keep it separate, but I don't think having your CPA do it is a terrible idea. And at that price, it might make sense if for no other reason than to not have, you know, a bigger bill by somebody who's an independent bookkeeper. And maybe, you know, the benefits are not outweighed by the, the additional costs that you would probably incur. But if you want to price shop, if you want to talk to somebody else, uh, you guys can go check out my bookkeeper. Uh, I have no affiliation with them other than that they do my books. Um, so I get nothing from this. But if you want to check them out just as a checks and balances, I know they're good. I can at least vouch for them that I know they know what they're doing. They understand real estate. They're really, really good at real estate bookkeeping. You can go to uh, REI Books Online. That's REI 
www.bookonline.com. Go check them out. You can tell them I sent you. Um, but again, it's it, it it's only just goodwill between me and them. I don't get any any sort of an affiliate or anything like that. I'm just that's who I use. I think they're great. If you want to check somebody out against whoever your book your CPA is suggesting for your books, then go and do that, and and you're you're welcome to it. Um, but they're really, really great. Reibooksonline.com. Um, but I don't think having your CPA do it's the worst thing in the world. I've just always heard it's a better idea to keep them separate, but not the end of the world. So 500 bucks a month, I think is very reasonable for four businesses. Uh, I don't know that my bookkeepers would be that price, maybe depending, I guess, on how much business you're doing and how active you are. Um, because I think a lot of times with bookkeepers, there's you know, part of the the decision of how much it's going to cost us, how many transactions, like how many deals are you doing and, and how much complexity is there in your, in your business. So um, that would kind of vary, but I think 500 bucks is actually pretty reasonable. So I wouldn't worry about it too much. Okay. That is it for today. Again, guys, we're here every week, Wednesday, 7 p.m. Eastern time, 4 p.m. Pacific. I would love for you to go check out my program at findandfundblueprint.com. I can't wait to see you there. Uh, That next session is starting really, really soon. So hop in and grab your spot right now. All right, guys, until next time, uh, I am out and I'll see you next Wednesday. All right, we'll see you. All right. I hope you enjoyed that. Remember, I do these Q&As live on Facebook on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. I hope you enjoyed this. Tune in next week for another installment of live Q&As answering your questions. Okay. Until next time.